0: Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7 to 11. The Apostle Paul uh, says to the church at Philippi and through the Spirit of God to us this morning, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we are very, very grateful that you are our father through your son, Jesus. Um, The one father that uh, you have sent to die in our place. Father, through him, you have made us to become your adopted sons and daughters. And not only have you... Father, called us to Christ, but you, you grow us in Christ. And then you also send us for Christ. And Lord, as we think about that this morning, what it means to worship in the midst of a lost and dying world, we pray for the gracious work of the Holy Spirit that you would enable me, Father, as your servant, to speak the utterances of, of God, and we pray your Holy Spirit would open every one of our hearts to receive your Holy Word. Father, that you may receive glory and that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, bearing more fruit for him each day. Hear us, O God. Have mercy upon us, Father, and help us as your needy children. We look to you and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we've seen, the, the order of our worship series so far has been purposeful, Right? We worship up first. Remember, it's, it's not as if God is responding to our worship of Him. He's the one who actually reached down to us with the grace of the gospel. And we respond to that revelation of who He is with our worship to Him, our communion with Him, our, our fellowship engaging with Him. And then... He unites us after that, he unites us to his church, to a local congregation so that we can grow and that we can function as part of his body. The worshiping in, it's it's vital, It's, it's where we learn, the context of the church is where we learn to love one another as Christ has also loved us. We learn to love the truth of Christ and we see that as a means by which we are to grow more like Christ. And also within the context of the church, we saw that's where we serve Christ with the spiritual gifts that he's given to us. So, so last week, now, we really began to look at what it means to worship in the context of out. Because of who Christ is for us and who Christ is in us, we then now have the desire to worship out into, unto Christ in the context of a lost and dying world. Remember last week we saw what evangelism really is. It is proclaiming the gospel. The gospel, that word, remember, is is a good message. It's the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ to come into the world, to live the kind of life that we should live, but we won't live, we don't live, and we can't live. And then to take the curse that we deserve for our sins upon himself on the cross. And then having just satisfied the justice of God, being raised from the dead, according uh, ascending now to the right hand of the Father, he then pours out his spirit on us that we would become like him. Because Jesus, as we saw, is the great model for us. He is the model evangelist. And as he was spirit anointed to preach the good news to the poor, to enrich and liberate them, he is also the model missionary. There is nobody who has a more radical cross-cultural experience than Jesus, leaving the precincts of heaven, wrapping himself in humanity to come to this culture of a lost and dying world. So as an evangelist and as a missionary, Jesus is the ultimate model. But he is not just our model, he's also our enabler. He is the one who comes and enables us to work out what it means to be an evangelist, what it means to proclaim the good news of Christ to the people of this earth. Well, One of the premier examples of how the Spirit of Christ living in someone enables them to be an evangelist and a missionary is the Apostle Paul. Uh, we've studied Paul extensively in our study we did not too long ago in the book of Acts. We haven't quite finished, we just really uh, began at the tip of the iceberg of who Paul is, and, and really when we, we come to looking at Paul as an example as well of a model missionary on a human side, there is so much that we could draw from this. We could actually have a whole series about how Paul says, I follow Christ, you follow me, right? You, you follow me as an example, as I follow Christ, we could look at all the intricacies of that in the series, but what I've done this morning is just selected a couple of writings from the Apostle Paul that I think would be helpful for us to examine him as a model, but not just to look and admire the Apostle Paul, but that we would seek things that would help us appropriate the truths and the reality that we're from Christ uh, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul that, that can show up then in our ministries that God has given to us. So we want to look at the things that God has given the Apostle Paul in his ministries and appropriate those truths in the same ministry that God has given to us and that is to bring the gospel to the nations. And so um, let's look at this particular, particular passage before us this morning and let's look at some characteristics we have in front of us. The first characteristic we want to follow in the example of Paul and this is the most important one, so this will be the longest one. This is Paul's passion for knowing Christ. Uh, Paul's passion... For knowing Christ and when we read the Apostle Paul's writings there's no doubt that that this knowing Christ was central and key to who he was and not only that but to the effect of his ministry as it should be right um, even as we saw kids in our kids time in order to share the gospel we must first know the gospel and according to know the gospel in knowing the gospel we come to know Christ and have a passion for him that's why I chose this passage in Philippians 3 in this particular passage Paul has rehearsed all the things before he was converted to the church at Philippi He has walked through all the things that were valuable to him he's listed everything that was important to him the passion he had for religious things you remember he was a, a zealot for what he understood of God's will but it was, an, it was an external, it was an outward religion. It wasn't really faith in Christ. But when he was brought to faith in Christ, he says, all of those things that were formerly important to me, all of those things that were of such value to me in my outward self-righteousness, he says, I've now counted them all as loss. But not just as loss. Paul says, I literally count those things as rubbish, literally as manure. That is what those former things that were of such importance to me have become to me. And then he goes on to say this in verse 8. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? knowing christ jesus my lord for whom i've suffered the loss of all things and have count them as rubbish so that i may gain christ i have lost all those things paul says that i might gain christ the surpassing value of of not just knowing about christ here that's not what this word connotates in the text But knowing him, it's a personal relationship. It's a personal experience of coming alive to the relationship of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 9 as well. He says, and may be found in him. That's such a great way to describe what it means to know Christ, right? To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that's derived from the law. Not the outward external righteousness I once had, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That is the righteousness that Christ has accredited to our account through faith in the gospel. When we realize our spiritual destitution, when we realize, as we sang, that there is no other hope, that there is no other hope than the personal work of Christ, and we transfer our trust from whatever it was that we were trusting in to put our full reliance upon Christ through faith, then his perfect righteousness, his perfect status is credited to our account. Paul says that itself... ...is also just a means to this end. He says in verse 10, he says... "...that I may know him and the power of his resurrection... ...and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death." The righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ... ...is so that we can know Christ. He goes on and further unpacks that. He says that that knowing Christ, that knowing of Christ... ...it's going to include the power of his resurrection... Now, I don't know if you've ever had the power to bring someone out from the dead physically. That's a pretty cool power if you did. Uh, But what Paul's meaning here is the power of what the resurrection represents, the power of being able to bring life, be the agents and instruments that have the message of life to watch someone who's spiritually dead come to life. Get this, this is, this is one, I used to tell this to my, to my youth all the time. Picture you had this superpower. That, that you had the words to speak life. In a sense, this is what we have with the gospel message. We are the instruments, the tools that God uses through his spirit to be able to speak the message of life so that we can watch spiritually dead men and women become spiritually alive men and women to know Christ. That's a wonderful, wonderful gift. This is what we have in the gospel. And this is what Paul means. That this, the resurrection power of Christ himself, it'll be operative in our hearts and lives through the risen Christ. Because the reality is, friends, if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, that persecution we talked about is coming. We know in our our culture it's generally mild persecution, but there is that of the righteousness of God that stirs up hostility in the hearts of the unregenerate, those who don't know or love God. Paul says that this is part and power, partial to knowing Christ. This comes with that. With Every time there's a superhero, right, there always rises up to be a supervillain. Right And in our minds, as we have this resurrection power to speak the word of Christ, to watch the Spirit of God work to bring dead people to life, we know that there's going to be an opposition to that. We face that. So Paul says that's, that's part of it. It's not just the power of his resurrection, though. It's this spiritual resurrection power. But there's also the communion that we have in this suffering. Paul says that there's, there's fruit even in walking through those sufferings. There's fellowship in his sufferings for his causes, his glory, and his kingdom then. We live lives that bring hardship to us. This is all what it looks like to know Jesus in the midst of a fallen world, by the way. It is, it is the, to have the gift of the gospel, the gift of being a tool to be used by God, and yet knowing because of the fact we are, we are his ambassadors in this world to share the gospel, that there is going to be persecution, and we are going to be the ones who have to walk through the hardship in order to get this gospel message out. But he's so worthy of it, isn't he? And friends, listen, this is so vitally important If we don't have this type of passion for knowing Christ, then we will never be the evangelist God has called us to be. In fact, I can directly tie the fact that that if you have no desire to share Christ with anybody, that you ought to check your passion for Christ and whether or not you really know him. Because knowing Christ, having a passionate love for Christ, will directly produce in you a desire to share it to a lost and dying world it will. If we're really going to be truly effective in reaching people for Christ, it has to start with cultivating this kind of heart love, affection for, this devotion to Christ himself. It's not just a matter of of getting information about Jesus or even reading our Bible, as important as that is. It is about appropriating the truth of Christ so we can have this existential, experiential knowledge of Jesus himself. That Jesus is the one that we value and we treasure more than anything and everything this world has to offer. That he is the pearl of great price to us. That he is the treasure of our heart. And listen, this is something that happens as we dwell on the gospel. So that's why Paul can come out and say the things he said in Ephesians chapter 3. Where he says, oh, this is my prayer for you. I'm praying for you at church at Ephesus. And here's what I pray for you. That he, God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The spirit of Christ. The same spirit that brings that resurrection power in our inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Listen, you see this when when you meditate on the gospel, what we just read during our kids' time, when you meditate on how much Christ loves you, what Christ has done in his work for you, you just think about the things like the torment on the cross, not just the bodily torment, but being separated from God under the curse of God. The fact that he did that so that you and I would not have to undergo that condemnation because of the full sufficiency of his atoning death. All of our sins being forgiven. That is how much we are loved. As we meditate on his love in the gospel, what it does for us is that it draws out a great and growing love for Christ. And out of that great and growing love for Christ flows the love that we have for other people. Other Christians and others who are beyond the Christian faith in order to reach them for Christ. Now I want to go ahead and read the last part of that prayer uh, to the Ephesians. Because this is so vital. This is what Paul says. He's praying this to the the Ephesian church. He says, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that what? You may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now I'll be honest I don't really know what that means, okay, Um, but I know it's a good thing. (laughs) Uh, Get this, to be filled up to all the fullness of God. That means there is something that goes on in the work of the Spirit in our hearts that we are growing in our knowledge of Christ and our knowledge of the love of Christ that then is an experience of the fullness of God. See, it is out of that fullness that flows the healthy Christian life. The Christian life is so much more, friends, than a number of doctrines to believe and a number of responsibilities to perform. It is this experiential knowledge of Christ and his love. This, this experience of God is brought to us through the person and work of Christ and by the Holy Spirit. It's simple. The more that we know and love Jesus, the more natural our evangelism will be because our mouths will speak of that which fills our hearts. We do it all the time. In fact, at lunch today, you are going to speak to your spouse, to your family, about what fills your heart. You can tell a difference, by the way, in the things that excite you and fill your heart and the things that are a chore to you that you have to work on. Well, for the Christian, what ought to fill our hearts more than anything? It ought to be the gospel. We ought to, we ought to speak of the gospel because it is that which fills our hearts. Now, of course, we won't do this perfectly, but friends, if we want to be evangelists, it, it's simple. If we recognize maybe in our lives that we, just, we don't speak about the gospel enough. We don't, we don't think about the gospel enough. Our, our hearts are not full of the gospel like they ought. It's simple. Know Christ more. And, and as you know the gospel more, in an experiential way, love Christ more. And your heart will be full. And then you won't be able to help but to speak of his goodness and his mercy. See, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Here's the challenge for you and I is that we are still consciously cultivating the knowledge of Christ. This knowledge of the love of Christ that brings us then this experience of God and the fullness of God. If you don't have that, see what you need to do is repent. We need to change the way we think so it'll change the way we live. It needs to inform our prayer life. Because you think if Paul's praying this for the the church at Ephesus, you think the Ephesians should pray that for themselves? Most definitely. If the Ephesians should pray that for themselves, you think we ought to pray this for ourselves? Absolutely. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us. That's an evidence for the Christian. It is the love of Christ that motivates us to bring the message of Christ to the lost. It is the love of Christ that directs. It is the love of Christ that moves us to die to ourselves in order to live to God and to be agents of God for his kingdom's sake. Church, the more heart-hungry we are for growing in the knowledge of Christ, the more effective we will be in our outreach. A lot of people like to, to, to disconnect these two. They say you can have two types of churches. You can either have a church that's hungry for the knowledge of the gospel of Christ or you can have a church that does outreach. I don't get that. They're missing the connection. friends. it's it's quite simple. The the mathematical equation here is quite logical and simple. As you grow to know and love the doctrines of Christ, you will, if you are a Christian, naturally want to reach the world with that truth. That's it. It, it's relatively simple. The more the love of Jesus will motivate us through the, through the gospel, the more we will want to serve him in evangelism. It's not that we're motivated by guilt or fear. We're motivated by the love of Christ that comes from our hearts as we treasure Christ, as we grow in Christ. So that's point number one. Our, our prayer is that God would ignite and inflame My passion for Jesus Christ as the great equipping and empowerment for my witness for Jesus Christ. You want to reach the nations? You want to fix the world as we say? Oh, it starts with loving and knowing Christ and having a passion for Christ. So ask yourself that question. Do I have this passion for Jesus that shapes my witness for him? Then another thing we see in Paul that I love about Paul is his shameless eagerness... To speak the powerful gospel. Paul has a shameless eagerness. To speak the powerful gospel. He's not ashamed of it. It, There's there's absolutely no shame in Paul's game. I hated that I just said that. Uh, But there isn't. Because Paul was eager and bold. To share the gospel of Christ. We see this in Romans chapter 1. 15 through 16. Paul says so for my part. I am eager. I look forward to it. I am ready and eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome for this reason. Here's why I'm eager. I'm eager. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, can I be honest with you even as a pastor? There have been times in my life and there's probably been times in your life where we can be ashamed of the gospel. And what that means is there is something out there that intimidate, intimidates us, and rather than fearlessly speaking the gospel to people, the fear of man comes in, or circumstances come in, and they bridle our tongues. What the gospel does, though, as we dwell upon it, is it helps us to overcome those fears. And listen, you speak the gospel, it can get you into trouble. <laughs> But, but it's the fear of Christ as primary, the loving reverence of Christ that overcomes the fear of man. That emboldens us to say what we ought to say, when we ought to say it, to whom we ought to say it to. So what we need is the Holy Spirit to communicate us that same eagerness and shamelessness. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am eager to communicate the gospel because it is the power of God that liberates people from sin. It liberates people from Satan, from hell, and from judgment. It is Christ's truth by which he sets the captives free. And here's the amazing thing. God has chosen you and I, man instruments, to take that powerful, soul-liberating message to the lost and dying world around us. We ought to have that same heart that Paul had that eagerly communicates Christ to the people around us without shame. And I wonder if we we miss that in our world because we're, we're far too afraid of coming off like, The Christians that are perceived on television and and movies as being corny, as being so different, so weird, right? The homeschool, nothing but Chick-fil-A, three meals a day type Christians, right? We're terrified of that. We don't want to be stereotyped in that way, although I would eat Chick-fil-A three times a day. um, And now I'm craving it. It's a Sunday, so we've got issues. Uh, But no, we're so terrified of the stereotypes they're going to put us under. That is fear of man, What what can that ultimately do to you? Why why are you so afraid? Jesus Christ has reached down from heaven and saved your soul. And you're scared of what other people in this world who are not God, by the way, are going to think about you? We're ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We need to pray for the same eagerness and boldness and shamelessness that Paul had. Absolutely. Absolutely. When uh, Jesus gives a word of warning here, doesn't he? In Luke nine thirty six, where he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We need to pray, "Oh Jesus, let me not be ashamed of you. Instead, let me be so in love with you, have such an affection for you, that I will boldly speak to the people who need to hear it. So then we have a passion for Christ. We've got the shameless eagerness to speak the gospel. Then the third thing, these last two will be quick. The spirit worked compassion for the loss that Paul had. This is one of those verses we're going to look at in a second from Romans 9 that just befuddles me. But I, I want us to really examine that Paul's spirit worked compassion for the loss. We've got to have this if we want to worship out in the context of the lost dying world by being evangelists for the kingdom. I want to read to you Romans 9, 1 through 3. Look at what Paul says here. This is just befuddling to me. Paul says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit three times. I'm I'm telling the truth here. I mean this. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Why? For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Did you hear what Paul just said there? this is mind-boggling to me. Paul is basically saying that if there is some way where a mere mortal could die and bring salvation to kinsmen, I would love to do that for my fellow Jews. I would offer myself up to go to hell if I could save them. Now, that's the spirit of Jesus Christ working in him. Now, of course, that's not possible. It's not. He... He says, I'm telling you, this is what the Spirit is working in my heart. He says, I've got great sorrow, I've got unceasing grief in my heart for them. This is a Christ-like compassion for lost people. And we need to ask Jesus to give us that same compassion. Help me then to to be about what it means, to remember what it means to be lost and apart from Christ. What it would mean to die in the state of eternal separation from Christ. Christ. Give me an ongoing awareness of that so that my heart is so broken over the lostness of people in my network of relationships. So I don't just look to them as friends, family, associates, and neighbors, but I want to ask, do they know Christ? And if they don't know Christ, oh God, with a broken heart, now in my prayers, I am looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them. This is Paul's compassion for the lost. Let me ask you a question. How... How deep is the sorrow that we feel for lost people? You know, there's a certain danger that comes from what we call the doctrines of grace when they're not really fully understood. Uh, The doctrines of grace, when you don't understand them biblically, can actually harden your heart. If you think in your mind, well, well, I know, I, I believe in things like election that are biblical, and so, you know what, they must not be the elect of God. So I I can't really be that sad about it. Let me remind you the context of what Paul says here in Romans chapter 9, this is perhaps maybe the clearest place in the whole revelation of God whereby we see the sovereignty of God in things like electing love and saving grace. It is in this chapter where Paul says some really hard things to wrestle with. He talks then about the vessels of mercy that were prepared beforehand and the vessels of judgment prepared beforehand for destruction, that God raised up Pharaoh in order to demonstrate his power in him, that Pharaoh was a deliberate Instrument as a model of the power of God in judgment. And, but you see, you can know all this stuff, but if we're not careful, we can harden our hearts against lost people. But Apostle Paul didn't do that. No. One of the greatest preachers of the free and the sovereign grace of God in Christ Jesus has a broken heart over his countrymen who are rejecting the gospel. He doesn't just say, well, they're reprobates. Damn them to, anyway. His heart breaks and the question is, do our hearts break over the lost people in our network of relationships? Are we saying, like we study in our Sunday school lesson, like Jonah, they deserve it? Because friends, here's the truth of the matter, you deserve it. You deserve the full and final wrath of God. God. But you didn't get it, and the one reason you didn't get it was because of the grace of Jesus Christ. How dare our hearts not break for those who are rejecting this wonderful, free and sovereign grace? We ought to be broken-hearted. We ought to weep and mourn with our brothers and sisters whose friends and family members have lost. But what we walk away and do is say, I'm praying for you. And then we actually don't care. <laughs> Friends, pray with them. Break, ask God to break your heart for them. And come together and have that kind of compassion. Do you ever think that? Oh, I wish that if it were possible, they could have my salvation. That I would spend an eternity in hell apart from God so that they would be saved. That is a radical type of love for the lost that Paul has. How dare we ever think that because we believe in things like free and sovereign grace that we ought not to have the utmost compassion for the lost. The fourth and final thing we need to see here is is a natural outflow. His compassion for the lost, but Paul's compassionate prayer for the lost. Look what he prays for them in Romans 10. See, Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't do this. Paul doesn't just say, I'm going to be praying for your lost family member. I'm going to be praying for those Jews I know who aren't there. Paul gets down on his knees and then he begins to pray for them. Look what he says. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. But we say things, well, you know, if they're if they're chosen of God, they're going to be saved, so what use is it praying for them if they're not elect. Well, one thing, friends, we, we have no idea who the elect are and who's not. But you have the Apostle Paul here. In the context, by the way, of God's sovereign, predestinating, electing, and saving love, he gives us the model, whether we connect the dots in our brain or not. It's right here. The Spirit, he says, is working in his heart. My heart's desire for these unsaved Jews and my prayer to God is for their salvation salvation i want them to be saved i'm praying to god and asking for his saving grace and the truth is by the way that it is our prayers that are the means of this outworking of that predestined decree of god to save his elect through the gospel he decides to use our prayers to accomplish that feat i don't know how it all works i don't know the timeline of it i'm not omnipresent i'm not eternal I can't tell you what it's like, but I know this, that if you're saved, it's because of God's electing grace. But he also uses the prayers of his people and the sharing of the gospel of his people to bring about such grace. We've got to marry those two. So here's the question, the searching question for you and I. Is are you and I passionately desiring and fervently praying from the heart for the salvation of our friends, our relatives, our associates, and neighbors who don't know Christ? That is something the Spirit works in our hearts. This is the way we worship in the context of a lost and dying world, with a heart that's hungry for Christ, a heart for compassion for lost people and those who are around us. Friends, the good news of the gospel is the same Holy Spirit who works these graces in the heart, and the life, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, it's the same Holy Spirit that lives in your heart and in my heart if we're born again unto God. This is vital to our worship. If we are really going to be evangelists, friends, we must be motivated by a love for Christ, a love for the lost, by prayer and witness for the lost. May the grace of God work in our hearts then to deliver us to our From our evangelistic apathy. To break our hearts and give us the confidence in what God does through his all-powerful gospel. So how healthy are we? Well, there is room for improvement and it is the Holy Spirit who is the agent of grace to convict us. To bring us to repentance and a change of mind which leads to a change of behavior. I just want to challenge you in this way, a practical application for you. Friends, I, I believe that you should have at least, at least, two to five people that are your regular objects of fervent prayer that God would bring the grace of salvation to them. You should be regularly and fervently praying for them and praying for opportunities for you to build a relationship with them so that you can bring the gospel across that bridge of a relationship of love into their hearts. Because, friends, so often God uses when people know we care about them to open their hearts up to receive the good message of of Christ. Every one of us. We ought to have a small handful of people that God has put on our hearts that we fervently are praying that God would give us an opportunity to share the gospel with them and that their hearts would be open to be saved by that gospel. So, if you're not doing that, let me just lovingly challenge you, urge you, as Paul says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Let's join that together. Friends, if if we want to be a church that evangelizes, we ought to love God, love each other, love the lost enough to pray for their salvation, but not just to pray for their salvation, to look for an opportunity Pray for an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. Will you do that together with me? I pray that you will. Let's stand as we we pray together.